Hi guys, it's Nick here. Before we get started today, I want to talk to you about a charity that Squawker has supported for some time and that we think you should support too, Football Beyond Borders. Football Beyond Borders, or FBB for short, is a registered UK charity that puts a young person's passion for football at the heart of their education. They do this by running after-school programmes in schools across London, supporting young people at risk of exclusion through a combination of innovative football-themed classroom sessions and fun, high-quality football coaching. On Monday the 17th of October, Football Beyond Borders are hosting the annual Football for All event, highlighting the power of football to promote education and social inclusion. The night will feature a live debate run by their school students, new short films showcasing FBB's talented young people, and a panel discussion hosted by their patron, the renowned football pundit Guillaume Balaguer, who will be joined by special guests including Eniola Aluko, Leon Mann, and many, many more. So, details. The event will be held at Amnesty International's East London HQ from 7pm until 10pm. So that's Monday, the 17th of October, 7pm till 10pm. Tickets are just £7 or £5 concession if you're a youth or a student. And they can be bought by following this link, sqwk.at fbb. That's sqwk.at fbb, all lowercase. For further info, please join the Facebook event page, which will be updated with details and announcements about new special guests as they come in. Hello everyone, hello football fans around the world. Welcome to the Squawker Talker. It's international break, and you know what that means? We're not going to talk about international football today. We have a very special debate. Playmakers have been making a bit of a return in the Premier League over the past couple of seasons. I'm joined today by Squawker Dave, Dave O'Brien, Mohamed Butt, and James McManus to talk a little bit about not exactly what makes the best playmaker in the Premier League, but who is the best playmaker in the Premier League. Mo, I'm going to come to you first. Um, who do you think is the best playmaker in the league in terms of just just creation, in terms of creativity? I mean, you know, obviously Kevin De Bruyne is amazing. Uh, you know, Christian Eriksen is really underrated. He's one one of the highest through balls completed in the last two seasons in the Premier League. Really creative for Spurs. A lot of a lot of their chances come through him. But I, I would have to say Dimitri Payet just because you know, he's, he's got such an X factor about him. I mean, this guy was basically under Marcelo Bielsa sort of exploded, started playing really well consistently, and then forces went to the France team, saved France, dragged France to the semi-finals. You know. Really, really spectacular. Look at West Ham. West Ham aren't playing well this season. He is playing well still. I mean, you know, actually, you know what? I can just say, Stefan Simon's up in two words. You know, just Rabona assist. Just well, leave it there. Rabona assist, done. Dave, do you agree with that? Rabona assist, that's... I think Pyatt's a, a certain player. I think he's a he's a player that creates chances in a, in a similar way where he just whips the ball into the box and that is it. He's his go-to man. He comes onto his, you know, his right foot if he's on the left whips a ball in, and that's how a lot of his chances come from. But I think, for me, creativity has got to go to Mesut Ozil. I think that he is the main man. He's the guy that's got the vision. He's the guy that's playing the through balls, creating the goals, getting the assists. You know, look at his chances created until, since he joined the Premier League. He's ranked number one. You look at the assists since the start of last season, ranked number one. I think in terms of all-round play, in terms of how we're going to define creativity in a way to split a defence with a pass or play a pass out wide to create an opportunity for somebody to cross, I think Mesut has to be the man. You, you see Arsenal without Mesut, 
the team is like 10 times better with him in that side. He's the hub, he's the heartbeat, he's absolutely everything in the final third. You're looking at passes completed in the final third. Again, Mezit is number one. So I think if we're just looking at creativity without other aspects of being a playmaker, me for me, Mezit is the man. James, do you agree with either of those? Would you go Pai? Would you go Urzil? I mean, obviously there's different aspects to, to creativity. There's unlocking a deep line defence, there's playing on the counter. What what, what do you think makes, makes the killer factor for you? I mean, it does all depend on what style of football you like watching the most I guess if you like a counter-attack sort of creativity you'd have to go De Bruyne because he's exciting to watch I don't find Mesut Ozil quite as exciting to watch but that moment that he has that killer moment is probably outstrips everyone else in the Premier League he's very he's very Arsenal a lot of the time hmm. they've mentioned final third passes he's gonna complete loads more because he's so good on the ball he, and he makes players around him play better Alex Awobi this season to come on leaps and bounds but just sticking so close to Ozil but if I was going to have to pick one say I had 50 million pounds I'm going to go out and buy one I'd put, I'd put De Bruyne Yeah I think that De Bruyne is definitely very creative in the final third but again a different way it's more the amount of crosses that he plays in or the amount of passes he plays whereas Mesut is picking that right pass I think the um, passes in the final third stat really is a, you know emphasize how he's, he's so good at retaining the ball in the area and that is a skill that you can put him in a Barcelona team, you could put him in a Real Madrid team and he'd fit in perfectly. And I think that's something that's maybe De Bruyne doesn't have in the same aspect. De Bruyne is more of a direct player. Mo, I mean, obviously Ozil, we've seen him be an enormous counter-attacking force under in the Mourinho sides, yeah. um, the famous Real Madrid Mourinho sides. And now he's playing in a team which is more you know possession obsessed. I mean, yeah. does, does De Bruyne have that flexibility as a, as a playmaker? Does Pae have that flexibility? Uh, I mean, Pae, I... Well, yeah, you look at it really. When when he played for West Ham, obviously they were playing transitional football uh, back to front very quickly last season. That's where they got success. Pai was often leading their counter attacks. And then for France, France were having the ball, dominating the ball in the Euro 6 2016. He was quite quiet stages. a lot of the games. Yeah, he was. He was. This thing, he wasn't. But then he had this sort of. See, this is what I'm, I'm sort of hesitant with Pai because it's like when when teams have the ball, he can be quiet for a lot, just drift through the games, doesn't really seem to dominate them in the way that Ozil does. But then he can come alive. I mean, he basically dragged France out of that group stage. But no, um, Kevin De Bruyne absolutely does have. You look at him play for Chelsea and Wolfsburg. Uh, Chelsea and Wolfsburg. So a City last season and Wolfsburg, you know, could really lead counterattacks. Tore Chelsea to pieces at Stamford Bridge, remember, mm-hmm. in that 3-0, in that 3-1 three, three three win. Uh, but then you look at him now playing uh, Bundle Guardiola in a possession-based system and looks very, very comfortable. So I can see Macca's point there that De Bruyne has a sort of a really varied uh, all-round skill set of uh, a creative ability in in all sorts of systems really let's let's talk a bit about shooting and goal getting which has become you know much more important for playmakers over the past couple of years i guess james when you look down this list you know the, the sort of playmakers we have in the premier league there's a really nice variety of types of players there's some tippy tappy there's some you know much more forceful and direct uh, who do you, who do you think's the the one who's going to you know who's the most potent threat in terms of in terms of getting goals from distance it's probably coutinho Lordy's got a strike on him. Just, just every one of his goals looks the exact same, but they're all postage stamped thirty yards top corner, and they're <laughs> yeah. all the best goal that weekend every time he does it. He has had hundred and forty attempts on goal since the beginning of last season. Coutinho, twenty nine percent accuracy. Klopp, t- Klopp told him when he first came in, one of the things I want you to do is just shoot more, because we it suits our style of play. We're not going to dominate around the edge of the box. That's not the point of having all those willing runners in front of you. It's to create mm. space so Coutinho can shoot, but. Uh, if we're talking about free kicks and set pieces, Pae, just behind him, Christian Eriksen. Eriksen has a sort of technique where it looks like he's almost just passing into the. Mm. It just it's it's like an old FIFA game when they didn't quite get the free kick 
uh, shooting right, and it was just you just had to get half a power bar, and it would just it would just fly in. That's yeah. Christian Eriksen in <laughs> yeah. real life. He's a FIFA player in real life, isn't he? <laughs> But um, I mean, Mesut Özil can't shoot, can he? It's the one weakness in his game. <laughs> he cannot shoot. He, he can't. He can't, finish, he can't his, kick it hard enough. His penalties. Oh my goodness. His penalties are, are woeful. It's like Joe Allen level finishing. It's just yeah. I'll just use that passing technique. Oh wait, the goalie's not not four years old. It's, it's not good. <laughs> Mo, no, no mention of Riyad Mahrez. Eighteen goals. I, you know, it's, the thing with Mahrez is, it's it's kind of a. You know, is it a flash in the pan sort of thing? We're still waiting to see that. You know, I mean, we're he's all ha- thinking he, it. He's he's had he's had a very he's had a spotty season this season, and you know, last season's consistency was incredible, remarkable, really, really brilliant. Probably should have taken that move to Arsenal, frankly. Uh, you know, he said he can't today. He said he didn't want to agitate a move, didn't want to upset less fans. Probably should have done that, frankly. Uh, you know, you're looking at it. He looks like he's plateaued. He looks like he's very, he's got a new contract. He looks like he's very comfortable where he is. I don't think we'll see the same level of consistency from him. No, from shooting. I mean. It's got to be Coutinho, hasn't it? Really, you look at the the way the guy threatens goal. <laughs> Dave's shaking his head. Yeah, he's shaking his head. <laughs> oh, There's God. a lot of head shaking coming from the Dave call. I think it's, uh, it's yeah, it's the the ability to hit the target. I think that's something Coutinho needs to work on. I think Coutinho will eventually get to a level of Kevin De Bruyne. I think Kevin De Bruyne is the standout for hitting the target, the standout for finding the corner. He's from a range. cool finisher, isn't he? So cool. You know, you go back to the, the the Wolfsburg days where they used to play long balls to Bastos, and he'd just be getting on the knockdowns. It was something special. He's so good at picking the corners, like Harry Kane in a way who picks the bottom corners out from from range which is something unnatural in a way you know players love putting in the top corner but underrated skill is to bang it in the bottom corner and Kevin De Bruyne has that from range you look at his shot accuracy since joining the Premier League it's much better than the rest of the playmakers in there and I feel that as he plays more he'll score more goals for Manchester City especially from outside the area especially when that space uh, opens up when you know Sterling, Nolito, Aguero running behind, then that space vacates. De Bruyne is going to stroll in there. So underrated in terms of his technique, his ability to bring the ball down, hit it on the half volley, hit it on the full volley. He's a great player. I think De Bruyne gets the shooting for me by a country mile. Yeah, but we did, to be fair, we did see an example, great example of his finishing in the Manchester derby. So. Cool as you like. Yeah. I know that those Coutinho long range bangers though. Well, eh? I mean, this is the thing. He's a high volume shooter, kind of like Cristiano Ronaldo. It just depends on if they if his team can put him in enough position, to take more and more shots. Mm-hmm. He'll just start scoring more and more goals. That's how Cristiano scores like eleventy billion goals every season. He takes <laughs> eleventy <laughs> billion. Take, 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 <laughs> he's talking in the old Scats. language. Seventy billion shots. Yeah, it's high volume. If you if you're gonna be that high volume, then you better start scoring. So you know you will. Event- I think if he keeps more shots he takes, he will eventually find his. Find his rhythm. James, set pieces. I know you love a, a good set piece. I do, I you, do. You, do. you do love a good in-swinging corner. I do. That, I mean, I don't particularly get the point of out-swinging corners. So I've got to generate all the power and the direct... Oh, cheers. Like, <laughs> are you going to contribute <laughs> anything to this move? Like, I don't get why teams persist with them, to be honest. Um, so if we're talking in-swinging, it's Ozil, that left foot. It's pretty, pretty sweet. De Bruyne is a very good corner taker. Coutinho is not. Uh, Pae and... Pay and Christian Eriksen are probably the best two. I think they're the best set piece takers across. Like in open play, they can go missing, get bullied out a little bit, but stick a ball down, give them eight people to aim at. I'd say Pae and Eriksen are probably your two. Dave, do you, do you agree with that? Pae and Eriksen on corners. I think if you go I mean, in, well, one I think for each wing, isn't it? With those two, I think it's more like a direct shot on goal. I think they're they're the danger danger men. We saw Pae last season. What was it? Five free kicks he scored. Mm. Eriksen's got a great record from scoring free kicks. I'd say De Bruyne from a wide area in terms of putting an indirect free kick into the penalty area. Seen the whip that he gets. It's very David Beckham esque. Mm. Um, you know the balls he put in for the Manchester derby the game before that. He was absolutely exceptional at putting the swing and putting the right pace on. So I think with a, with with a set piece, there's a lot of different components. Like Mac said, the in swinging corner, the shot on goal, the indirect free kick. So I'm going to go Kevin De Bruyne indirect. Probably go Payet in terms of getting goals and and. 
probably Ericsson with corners, maybe? You're, doing, you're doing FIFA settings now. I am, got, yeah. Like, it was it did. <laughs> Who's going to take the, the goal kicks, though? The question. <laughs> Dusan Tadic, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the man. Definitely give Tadic. Got, someone's got to mention Tadic. Uh, good stat on Tadic. Serbia's last 10 goals at international level have all been either a Tadic goal or Tadic assist. Remarkable. So he's very <laughs> underrated. Well, I think he got 12 assists in the league, 12, 13 assists in the league last season. Yeah. And when we did our... Um, Eight goals as well. Yeah, when we did our fantasy Premier League draw, um, I picked him up for about 3 million, which is outrageously Bargain. cheap. And people were doubting me for picking him up. I was like, oh, I've, I literally just looked at the assist table for last season before I did it. And mm. I picked up Milner and Tadic, dirt cheap, because they actually contribute between 6 and 12 assists every season. Both of them do. Yeah, only Ozil, Eriksson, Hazard, Fabregas and Silva created more chances since Tadic joined the Premier League. Um, no, do, you, do you agree on, on what James and Dave have been saying on set pieces? Yeah, it's hard to argue against Kevin De Bruyne for, for set pieces. His, his free-kick delivery is really, yeah, the way he calls it in, it, like Beckham-esque is, is the word, you know. Um, uh, and again, you know, I mean, they've, they've covered all the ground, really. There's nothing left for me to say, to be honest. It's Fair enough. De Bruyne, Eriksson, yeah, great. Uh, you know, so. I was bit, almost bit speechless. Of... Almost. That's the closest you're going to get with me, mate. Trust me. <laughs> let's, let's talk about dribbling. And yeah. I find this question's really interesting because, I mean, you've probably got three of the best dribblers we've ever seen in the Premier League right now in, um, in Paye, Hazard and Ozil. Uh, in terms of you know, the, but they all have really different techniques. Yeah. Mo, who who do you think is the the standout in the terms of playmakers oh, this is, this in terms is, of taking the ball past a man? This is Eden, this is Eden Hazard. This is not even close, really. The, the, with the other ones, I mean, whatever thoughts Eden Hazard has have in terms of shooting consistency, uh, you know, work rate, work rate, uh, <laughs> turning you know, up, turning up, you know, re- being a being you know, being a good teammate, all of that stuff. The guy can dribble for in his sleep. He's just he beats his man for you know absolute ridiculous ease. You watch him do it. And you just think, if you could do that even remotely consistently, you'd be absolutely unplayable. It, you know, it's it's what, like watching Neymar, the way Neymar easily goes past players, Neymar actually does stuff with the ball. Hazard still hasn't figured out that last bit. But mm. for dribbling, it's, it's it, the, the way he shifts his balance so quickly, his slow mm. centre of gravity. Uh, you know, defenders just have no idea which way he's going. And then he you know, leaves them falling, on the, falling flat on their backsides. It's, I mean, it's really amazing to watch. If he could harness... The final product thing after that, oh, he could be dangerous. Dave, I think do, do you we, agree with that? Have we forgotten the Hazard that you know went on to for Chelsea to win the Premier League? It was absolutely brilliant. Mm. Player of the season was so difficult goals, to play assists. against. Goals, assists, create something out of nothing. Lionel Messi ability to go to skip plus players, not Neymar. I'd say it was Messi esque in that in that season. But again, it's that Hazard that's fallen from grace. And what you, I don't know what's happened to him whether it's a personal problem, whether it's a mentality thing. He's just not the same player. We saw a glimpse of that in the game against Liverpool last game of the season where he picked up the ball, passed about three players, curved the ball into the, the corner. But that he was doing that consistently when Chelsea went on to the, win the league and now he's not doing it. I just, mm. it's, it's a real mental thing for him again. But yeah, he by far is the best dribbler. I'd give a shout out to Mahrez as well. Very explosive. A, bit, mm. a, a slightly different uh, winger in a way that's more of a, a trick man than that low centre of gravity and the ability to jink and go inside people. So yeah, Mahrez, Hazard... Not too Payet again. I'd say Mares and, and Hazard were definitely a higher higher level than him. James, do you agree, do you agree with that? Just Hazard. I mean, he is quicker than the rest of them, but Payet's got unbelievable technique, hasn't he? I was I was actually going to say I don't think Eden Hazard is amazingly quick. It's just he carries the ball so close to his mm. body mm. that he he'll take three touches when another player will take one and maybe lose control of it. So Dave mentioned Messi. It's probably the closest player yeah. in world football to his dribbling technique. It is mm. just outstanding. I think Hazard's been better this season than maybe people are want to say he has been. He's he's the Chelsea poster boy 
And if Chelsea are down, he's going to be getting it more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. But he was the best player in England 18 months ago. And I think he just needs a move, basically. It's not what Chelsea fans will want to hear. He will still do a good job for Chelsea. But you stick him in Real Madrid's team, I think they'll be think very, 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 very dangerous. Think I think... Sorry. I don't, I don't even know what Hazard, Hazard's worth anymore either. 50 million, 40 million, 60 million. Like, what do you pay for that? But, a tenner at Aldi. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a good deal to me, but probably <laughs> yeah. 50 million. Well, yeah, no, I mean, the thing with that, that that's the thing Dave said. Uh, we've, we, if we've forgotten about Hazard, yeah, we have. Because he was just that bad last season. Didn't score a goal until, what was it, May? You know, he, he, he just really struggled and he's got to rebuild himself to that level. Mac is right. He needs a move. He needs to go find somewhere else. He needs to, I mean, a team where he doesn't have to score goals would be ideal for him. So, you know, you stick him opposite Gareth Bale and on, on the wings at Real Madrid. I mean, the guy's laughing, you know. Uh, but yeah, his, his ability to, to beat men, his, his, the way he shifts his body weight, the, the body swerving, that, that, you know, and combined with his close touches, like Maka says, just, he, no, he's really quite something. You know, you know, whether you, whether you like Chelsea or not, Eden Hazard is a pleasure to watch. Coming to an infomercial near you, Eden Hazard's gym video, body swerving. I think it's worth mentioning that Hazard doesn't always play central either. He plays out mm. wide like Mares because they're shoehorning either Fabregas further forward because he can't defend, or Oscar further for- further forward, or just in just playing at all because he's Brazilian. Mm. That's literally the only excuse for playing Oscar is that hey, he's don't Brazilian. Re- don't forget that those goals against Juventus like six years ago, or whatever. It yeah, was. I mean Jack Wilshere had a good game against Barcelona when I was at school. So <laughs> Bournemouth now. So. That's that's a good point. Let's let's pick up on that. I mean, in terms of you know, we mentioned earlier the the silver, the Cazorla, the the Fabregas, or the deep lying playmaker. How much has the playmaker role changed? Because they now seem to play all, all over the park. It depends on like a manager's system more than anything. I mean, if we're talking about the last five years in the Premier League as a, as a whole, it's David Silver's the best playmaker because he's been consistent year in year out, mm. and he he is he's been quietly the best player in the league for five years. They've been play, shining lights who have. Gone bigger in certain seasons like Hazard, Bale, Özil, even Fabregas. But if we're talking steady as she goes, it's probably David Silva he'd want. And he's playing a lot deeper for City mm. under Guardiola now. He's playing sort of in, with a runner next to him as a central midfield player. But if your team has seventy percent of the ball or sixty percent of the ball, that's kind of where you want David Silva. It's very much Iniesta at Barcelona when he got a bit older and pushed out off the wing. Mm. Dave, but, Dave, do you do you feel like the the deep laying pl- deep lying playmaker like? Santi Cazorla, like David Silva, are they underrated in the Premier League? Do do we not value them as much as they would in other leagues? Do you feel that's true? Yeah, I think they're, they, it's, a, it's a very under, undervalued position. It's sort of what the water carrier was. So it was what Makaleli, what Darren Fletcher used to be to their sides. Hello, now it's, now it's and Fletcher, Fletcher in the same sentence. Yeah. Fletcher every wow. Time. wow. <laughs> water carrier, you know, he used to destroy Arsenal on his own by just his sheer determination. But going back to the number six again, now it's a role that's again being undervalued. And I feel like players like Silva potentially could become a number six, like Santi Cazorla. Santi Cazorla is one of the most interesting Interesting, sorry, um, evolutions of a player we've had in recent years, going from a number ten to out wide to number ten, back to now number six. You know, and the, you've got to credit his ability on the ball, and I think that's a big thing with with teams pressing, with teams harrying from from the number ten slot and putting workers there instead of putting playmakers there. It means that your deep line playmaker has to have that ability to go past a man, mm. has to be able to spin, has to be able to turn, has to be able mm. to use his guile to get around that first presser. Let's mm. say, I think that's where these deep line playmakers are now coming out and shining like players like Luka Modric who just have that ability to pirouette and have that ability to spin but yeah they are so important as much as an attacking midfielder is you need to get the ball to that attacking midfielder or a winger or whoever is your 
focal point of your attack, the deep line playmaker is key to getting the ball to that person. And that is massive in football right now. Yeah, I mean, Busquets basically changed the game in 2009. When, well, Guardiola did when he put Busquets there instead of Yaya Torre. Yaya Torre is the big, was for Barcelona, the big prototypical defensive midfielder. Physical, good with the ball, very good with the ball. But, you know, his primary instinct was to defend and then push forward. Busquets, different kind of player. And, and football has evolved since then. You look at, uh, like you say, Tanika Zola is a great example. And then David Silva, you know, Julian Weigel at Borussia Dortmund is a great, a great example. Short, not necessarily a powerful powerful defensive presence, but really, really good with the ball, really assured, keeps the ball moving. Gonzalo Castro moving from out wide to uh, number 10, back to now playing number six slash number eight alongside Weigel. Uh, you know, that's that's why football is evolving. David Silva moving back to play number, this what you call, what, what De Bruyne called free eight. You know, next to De Bruyne, ahead of uh, Fernandinho in, in Guardiola's system, is perfect. That's where you want him. You don't want him out wide because he has to. He has to, where he has to trap back and run, run after 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 his fullbacks. Now you want him in there where he can press and then just play with the ball. I and mean, you look at him. Uh, it's really benefited him from an international level because you look at him play for Spain and he just looks a completely different player. Mm. He was peripheral to the, the the success they had under Del Bosque, but now under Lopetegui. Next in yesterday, he, those two just absolutely run the show. They were incredible last night against uh, Albania. They were great against Italy. Uh, you know, it's. It's really transformed him. He he has really come into his own. He deserves a lot of praise right now. Okay, yeah. I, I think, think I think Arsenal only look good when Santi Cazorla's fit and had a good run of form. They mm. only ever look like a title challenger when they've got Santi Cazorla. He's you might say Özil is Özil's probably Arsenal's best player. Everyone knows it, mm-hmm. but Santi Cazorla is the one that makes Arsenal Arsenal. Makes them tick. Yeah. Now, Dave, a lot of the managers now are very insistent on defending as a team. Guardiola really brought this to the fore, um, you know. But all all teams in the Premier League, all the top teams, want to defend from the front. Who who in your mind has the, you know the best defensive contribution out of these teams? Not just only in terms of winning headers, making tackles, that sort of thing, but who's who's the most de- who's the best defensively out of these players? Because that is quite important. I'd say in terms of pressing, in terms of positional sense, I think it's De Bruyne. You look at his work at Wolfsburg, but I'm going to go back and flip reverse it and say that I don't want my number ten or I don't want my playmaker that's going to be out of the pitch defending. I want okay. them to stay on the counter-attack. I want them to be the player leading the attack, whether that player plays left midfield like Eden Hazard, whether it's number 10 like Kevin De Bruyne or Mares, number, uh, you know, on the right wing. Mm-hmm. I don't want these players to defend. I want them to be counter-attacking. I want the, as soon as the ball's turned over, the transition goes, they should be pushing on. But I would say, you know, if you're going to look at a, a pressing system, De Bruyne looks like he's the most switched on about in terms of using his body shape to, sh- to block off passing lanes, etc., etc. For me, Kevin De Bruyne, the rest of them, I don't think they have that much of a defensive brain really no no love for Coutinho James in in the in the Gagan press he's he's hard working now he's always flitted in and out of games and he's so lightweight and frustrating to watch at times because his decision making is so it's probably the poorest on this list I'd suggest Coutinho's decision making because of the situations he creates for himself and picks the wrong option is incredibly frustrating to watch I think uh Christian Eriksen is uh, a bit underrated defensively. You can't mm. play for Pochettino, mm. especially in a central role, and not be any good at it. And there was a lot of doubts. The reason Eriksen moved to Spurs, back when Spurs were a bit more up-and-coming team, there were a lot of doubts about him defensively and about his size when he was at Ajax. Apparently Liverpool had a look at him 2011-12, thought probably a bit too lightweight. But I remember Spurs took a chance on a player that everyone said could, couldn't play in a midfield two in uh, Luka Modric, and he's probably top three centre midfielder in the world now and he's the one that makes Real Madrid play not Tony Cruz Tony Cruz keeps play Modric makes the play but uh, if we're going back to the, your original question and away from my tangent <laughs> uh, no but it, it was worth it for the uh, Modric good, makes the play he, he makes it it was, it was uh, I'd go Christian Eriksen personally alright 
Mo, do you agree with that? No, defensively, it's Kevin De Bruyne easily. You look at you look at his. You look at the responsibility of Wolfsburg. You know the way he trapped back. He he was he was uh, a winger slash number ten there and would contribute defensively. He's great pressing forward but you look at him playing this free eight role again go back going back to the system with Guardiola he's tracking back he, he's looking like a complete central midfielder like he's been playing there for years tracking runners tracking uh, midfielders behind him making tackles you know uh, if, if he stays fit to the end of the season he'll be top three central he'll be up there with Modric and Iniesta as three of the, as the best central midfielders in the world there's no doubt in my mind I do think uh, Mesut is someone that gets real criticism sorry for his defensive ability and you, you sort of go back to Arsenal last season in the Champions League where they went away. I think it was was it to Bayern Munich, and mm-hmm. they they put in a really good shift, or maybe it was at home. Uh, but whichever, it was always Mesut that was covering the flank. You know, Alexis Sanchez is a player that oh yeah, he's good defensively, but if he plays out wide, he gets very lazy. He'll go and he'll press, but he won't recover the shape. And Mesut was doing a lot of work, a lot of groundwork, getting out to the left wing, covering his fullback. So I think Mesut is a player that you know. He's, he's seen as lazy, but he does a lot of work off the ball. And he's, it's something that we need to start noticing and appreciating. He's always top of the running stats at Arsenal, except for when Ramsey's playing. Yeah, because Ramsey runs for, for days. Ra- he? Ramsey he runs lo- in circles. Ramsey loves to Ramsey run. just runs. That's all he, he does. He just runs and runs. Um, <laughs> last thing I wanted to ask you uh, on this playmaker debate is, well, two last things is obviously I want to come to some sort of decision. Obviously, <laughs> that'd be good. But also temperament, very important. Yeah. You know, Who do we think is... The person who's quite a few of these players are quite young still. Who do you think's got the temperament to sort of kick on, or the temperament who's got the best playmaker temperament? I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a you know, broken record here, but Kevin De Bruyne, Kevin De Bruyne you know, <laughs> you are uh, answering a lot of Kevin De Bruyne. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, also I would say uh, uh, I think Coutinho kind of has it. I mean, he's he's kind of inconsistent, but you look at you look at his. Uh, the way he's constantly improving. Neymar constantly talks about how how amazing this kid is. So you know, and and he, he how terribly he was the in- same agent. Like, yeah. He's like twenty four, twenty five. You look at how terrible he was at Inter. Like he really was quite awful. And you know, it would have been very easy for him to disappear down the rabbit hole of players like Wellington, Nem. Uh, you know, prom- Bernard, promising Brazilians who went to Europe too early, messed their career up and just fell to pieces. Mm. But you know, he worked hard, was brilliant in Espanol, got a chance at Liverpool, has been impressing. You know, and again, it could have been easy for him to drift off once uh, Rogers started to drift himself. But no, he kept at it, and he's really been really working on the Klopp. Now, I mean, you know, he's got a ways to go, but I just think the kid has a sort of resolution about him. Uh, a res- sorry, a resolution, a resolve about mm-hmm. him. He he doesn't seem to want to give up at all. Uh, I mean, so if we're excluding De Bruyne, who is the obvious candidate here, I think Coutinho's got a big shout. James, do, do you agree with that, Coutinho? I mean, he's he's a steely, steely kid. He gets fouled a lot. Uh, no, I wouldn't agree with that. I'd go Mesut Ozil. Um, <laughs> right. Because I think Mesut Ozil's the only one here that's done it for two huge clubs. Mm. Um, Kevin De Bruyne is doing it at, as good as Wolfsburg were. They were they suited his talents. Um it was the Bundesliga as well. We shouldn't like Bundesliga is more competitive now than it was maybe two years ago even. But um, Dave's looking at me now like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna, it's Roger gonna, Smith and going, he's going to have my firstborn over that time. Roger Schmidt, what a guy. But I, I'd say it is between Özil and De Bruyne if we're talking big match temperament. They, Mesut Özil's won a World Cup. He's the mm. only one on this list that's won a World Cup or a major international mm. tournament. He was he's terrible played... during the whole tournament though. Was he? Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what was Kevin De Bruyne like at that tournament? Wait, I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think Belgium got off the bus, did they? Probably uh, not. Probably not. Fellaini did. I don't think anyone else did. I mean, uh, and Ozil always, de- Ozil always delivers in big games, I think. There's a lot of pressure on him, but he, I think he, in the main, delivers in big games. Mm. I think De Bruyne does as well. Um, I wouldn't put Mares or Paye up there yet. Mm. Paye is good if you're 3-0, 3-0 against Newcastle at home and you need someone to put a free kick in last minute, but... 
I haven't really seen Payet do it against a top quality opposition regularly enough. Mm. And he's he's a lot older than everyone else on this list as mm. well. True. Dave? Got to be Eden Hazard, right? Top temperament. Top temperament. <laughs> top temperament. I say especially, that. especially with ball boys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keeps his cool under pressure. Doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Give me the ball back. <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, he just wanted that ball. I mean, he yeah. really did want the ball. Yeah, I think the Mesut argument that James made about the World Cup, about how he's been Real Madrid, Arsenal, and so forth. Yeah, he's got he he's got the most temperament because of his journey so far. Kevin De Bruyne could have that following his journey, but not at the moment. Yeah, I think Mesut has got to be up there, number uno. Okay, well, thanks for Number much. Uno. <laughs> That's a clash of uh, languages there. It's numero uno, isn't it? <laughs> Number Uno. Number Uno. <laughs> I, I like numero one. For those Spanish speakers out there. <laughs> well, earlier on, we spoke to Sports Geek author Rob Minto a bit about myth-busting football and other sports as well. So you've been working at the FT for 10, ten years, years yeah. in, in roles which don't exactly cover sports no. very closely. I mean, what's, it, the, what's the source of your passion for sports? How did you become the sort of sports oh, geek? Well, I've always been very, very passionate about sports, but the um, but got a career at the FT. And while the, whilst doing some sports stuff at the FT, there isn't a sort of dedicated sports desk um, in the way that it, there is at a, in another national newspaper or a great website it's walker for example um so you you sort of dabble on the side but i'd always had this passion to do something that was not a, a book that was like a, a kind of you know i don't know the sort of normal sports narrative but looking into the numbers of sport because i i sort of find the numbers in sport quite in some ways really interesting in other ways very that some of the numbers that are out there very frustrating mm. so it's sort of half born out of frustration and half born out of kind of my just my you know my own passion for sport and Sort of economics, if you like. Yeah, I mean, you you say you got the passion for sports. I mean, has it has it always been all sports? I mean, what sort of sports yeah, did you enjoy as a kid? Exactly? As a kid, um, my well, my grandfather was always very into snooker, so I had to do one chapter on snooker for him. Okay, he passed away many yeah. years ago. Um, but uh, my uh, mum's mother's very into tennis and rugby, so I always watched those as a kid. And you sort of at school, like everyone else, you sort of football is just around you constantly. Mm. You know, as as a national sport and cricket and in the summer. So you sort of just sort of pick up everything. But I also got very interested in American sports when I was young. Uh, I used to, uh, followed American football. I remember when it was first broadcast on, I think it was Channel 4, and the sort of first early kind of, and, and just thought, what is this amazing thing? Yeah. for You know, where they're all dressed up like, you know, I mean, it was before yeah. Gladiators, but it was, you know, <laughs> just dressed up like something from another universe and and sort of these incre- this incredible action. And so that sort of piqued my interest in, American sports, and so I guess you know I've, I've always been interested in in, in sort of a, a wide variety of sports, not just sort of one or two. Yeah, not just not just yeah. football. I mean, football obviously has always been a big. Yeah. You know, as I say, you can't avoid it, and if yeah. you you know, I uh, we used to live um, very close to the Arsenal Stadium, and I could, on if the wind was blowing in the right direction, you could sort of almost hear the game sort of moment by moment just by opening the windows, and you could definitely tell when there was a goal scored. And it's yeah. Like, that whole kind of uh, sort of crowd noise, I think, in football is is. There's nothing quite like it. Yeah, I think football has that the the capacity in terms of the crowd to give more energy than anything else, and that's sort of something that's completely different from statistics of sport. Yeah. But it's sort of you know it's something that you can't kind of you know you, it's hard to fail to be kind of moved by. I think. Yeah. Are you, are you an Arsenal fan? Or? I am an Arsenal fan. Oh, right. Yeah. It's hard not to be when you sort of live. Yeah. You can almost see that, the stadium that <laughs> close. Yeah. But I didn't grow up being an Arsenal fan. I sort of became a later years Arsenal yeah. fan, I should say. Yeah. Fair enough. So, and yeah. and in terms of, I mean, the, the football section covers quite a lot mm. of ground. Actually, it's it's and actually it says at the beginning of the book. It's sort of a you pick it up as and want. You're not really meant to read it in one go, and that that really comes across these not short 
snappy chapters full of really interesting tidbits of information. Yeah. That the football section's very wide ranging. How did you come across to decide these are the topics I want to cover? Because there's not a lot of crossover there between the different no, chap- sub chapters. I think. I mean, there's there's a couple of themes that run through about sort of the competitiveness angle and and uh, sort of predictability within major leagues. And of course, when I was researching the book, then then Leicester, you know, I actually finished the book and then Leicester won the title, which was really you know blew away in yeah. some ways some of the analysis but because it's historical it doesn't ruin the analysis from before but Leicester of course slightly upended one or two assumptions in there um I mean it's part of the the things about football is that a lot of a lot of the statistical stuff about football is very um sort of immediate so people are looking at you know who are the goal scorers and also a lot of the um you know, goal scorers this season or what's happening right now and mm. past completion rates and, mm. and all these other things um, sort of at this moment. Whereas, um, and, and also I was trying to do chapters on football that were a little bit different to some of the stuff that's elsewhere. Now, I mean, um, for example, there's, there's some other, there some other really fantastic books about football. There's um, The Numbers Game, there's Soconomics to name one or two um, by some fantastic authors who do a far more detailed sort of deep dive, as it were, into the numbers mm-hmm. and have other conclusions. And I didn't want to just repeat what they'd done because, you know, those books are out there and, and they're kind of, they're really good. So I, there's no reason to sort of just duplicate all that. So I was trying to find something a bit different about football with looking at um, how you can, uh, how football leagues are sort of becoming less, more or less competitive, about how looking at the World Cup in historical terms, looking at, you know, the number of women playing the game, looking at China and India, those sorts of things that were just slightly different from mm. from some of the sort of the stuff that's already out there, I guess. Yeah, you mentioned the China and India section. I mean, mm. the, the demographics one, because it's always a question I've asked myself, and you have gut instincts, but you really break it down. Maybe you can talk a bit about that, about why, for example, China and India struggle so much to put out basically a decent football team, as you put it yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One is um, that... Uh, I mean, it's, the title of the book is, is "Demography Isn't Destiny," and 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 part of the reason why people always pick on China and India is obviously the size of their populations. Mm. But the the flip side to that is is actually a sort of slightly non-football example, which is look at New Zealand at rugby or Jamaica at sprinting, which is small populations mm. can can have incredible performance in sports. It's you might as well you know ask why you know. Indone- as I think I put in the book, Indonesia isn't better at rugby. You know, it's a pretty obvious when you think yeah. of it in those senses. As an analogy, that sounds completely yeah, absurd. It but is absurd. It's exactly. just as absurd. And it's just as absurd. Now, China and India are both I mean, are very different um, cases in that um, India is obviously obsessed by cricket and all the Indian role models, sporting role models when you're over there are pretty much um, uh, cricketing ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and in China, obviously, China's quite is a bit of a different case now, but because of you... You know, they've really invested heavily in bringing some players, not just like the American League did at the end of their career, but players much more towards their prime are now being recruited to play in the Chinese mm. League. However, I mean, the Chinese League has been beset by kind of corruption problems and uh, so on. So, And yeah, how much that translates into enthusiasm amongst the Chinese population is, is hard to tell. It's also I one factor here is that you can import a whole bunch of players whether or not they become role models to the next generation of Chinese players is another question if you think about the big Chinese role models which is one argument I make in the book is that um, you, you know Yao Ming in basketball Lina in tennis you know these are the role models of the moment 
there isn't a Chinese footballer role model as mm. yet that a player that you can the sort of poster boy or girl if you like for for the next generation of Chinese players and I think that will slightly hold them back um, because you know as much as you can throw money at bringing in overseas talent it might it might not always you know work there's a, there's a bit where you you frankly dismantle the Europa League as a competitive format yeah which is a, a gripe that many football fans have this this seems to be systematic at the moment at, with FIFA and UEFA is making elaborate competitions over elaborating their own competitions I mean you you've worked at the Financial Times for a very long time obviously it's not been the focus of your book but you've you've been up close to a lot of corporations and you've probably you've dabbled in some of the affairs that or at least been covering the affairs that have come across uh, from FIFA and UEFA. I mean, do you have any understanding as to why they, they want to sort of complicate the competition so much? Is there a huge financial gain there? In the Europa League, I, I don't know about the financial gain aspect because it, it's more just, I think it's born out of um, trying to create a European competition that, you know, below the, the Champions League that keeps smaller nations interested I, I can't remember the exact um sort of point but there's, there's a moment where you know the best team in gibraltar and the sort of fifth best team in spain enter the competition at the same point and mm. it's sort of you know the a bunch of champions league rejects come in and out and you know it, it, then there's a group stage and then they, you know it, i mean it, yeah it's it's impossible to sort of explain without a graph or a chart really mm. um in terms of actual financial gain for uh, UEFA, I don't, I don't know because of, you know, the, the early rounds can't be that much of a money spinner. Um, but in terms of, and and it's incredibly long. I think it's more just kind of what people call mission creep. It's more just you know trying to kind of bolt so many things together yeah. that it's not really um, or feature creep, whatever people want to call it. But mm. it's it's trying to bolt everything together, and mm. you just end up with this crazy kind of. It, Frankenstein. It is a Frankenstein, absolutely right. Yeah. And, and then, but you know, FIFA are at it as well with um, just trying to suggest the World Cup should be forty-eight teams. Um, in the you know, Infantino has mm. the new FIFA leader. I don't know what his exact Pres- president. President, president, sorry, Presidente. 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 <laughs> um, the next guy from Switzerland, um, who's who's uh, you know suggested forty-eight teams go to the World Cup, which is, I mean, that one is much more of I think a, a you know a money-driven, or it certainly has. Uh, money upsides given that you know more more uh, more games more uh, and and obviously keeping some of the nation you know 48 teams theoretically you know more interested in the uh, world cup mm. and therefore their fans final thing i was going to ask is uh, we we get asked this question a lot and i think a lot of the football analysts themselves do i know that's not your area of expertise mm. but what's your process when you're either collecting the data or analyzing it and, and processing mm. it what, what sort of what sort of tools do you use what sort of software do you use i mean what's what's exactly your i mean how statty are you really yeah i well i start with usually i start with a hypothesis which is you know whatever it might be um so you know i'll start with a to use a football example, um, whether um, better teams get more penalties, so mm. um, which is quite an easy one to prove because a penalty is a discrete decision, and you know whether or not it's right or wrong. We won't get into that. Yeah, <laughs> it's binary. It's binary. <laughs> there was a penalty given, and that's that. And we're not going to get into whether or not there should be one given, anything like that. So you um, so you start with the hypothesis of uh, better teams get more penalties, and then you go right. Well, let's find out so what def- so you have to define what is a better team and ma- most people would agree that your final league standing is a very good indicator of that and mm. your final number of penalties you know the number of penalties you got given a- any given season 
and then you just go back over time and dig them all out and and in some cases you I sort of put them into an excel spreadsheet excel's probably my kind of main tool but i use a few other things for for tennis i created a my sql database of every tennis match i could ever possibly found mm. things like that um but in this case you used i used excel and then use a couple of functions or whatever you you know you did a bit some clever number stuff to work out the correlation of whether or not better teams do in fact get bounces and and then also pull out some examples from the data so you know there's there's um that uh item of the book came from when uh chelsea put out a press release saying that because they were top of the league they should have the most penalties and actually um they statistically were completely wrong quite often lower teams have just as many penalties as those at the top and that's possibly because towards the end of a season when in a relegation battle teams will be you know flooding forward to try and get goals to save their position in the league and mm. penalties happen and, and and also there's just a bit of penalties can be a bit random yeah. so um and so i you then did i did the analysis across all the four major european leagues um and uh yeah lo and behold it pretty much doesn't have any <laughs> match up to league position at all so and you start with the hypothesis so in fact the hypothesis and then the data and then the writing bit is actually sort of the quickest bit because it's at the end because you sort of proved it or disproved it or whatever only an Arsenal fan would go through that much trouble to disprove Jose Mourinho. <laughs> Jose Mourinho. It uh, well, it was yes. I mean, my Arsenal bias there. I, 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 it was was not really top of mind. If Arsenal had said we get we should have more penalties, I would have happily dismantled that. The book is Sports Geek by Robert Minto. It's out on Bloomsbury on the twentieth of October. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, Rob. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay, so we've heard about the temperament, the shooting, the passing, the dribbling, the you know, um, every everything to do with a playmaker. Everything, really. We, we, yeah, we even got Lipteggi involved for probably longer than it needs to be, but that's fair enough. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask every single one of our guests um, for their top three playmakers in the Premier League. They are studiously studying the list. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. I'm going to come to James first, because I know he makes his mind up quickly. I do, and yeah. uh, you've put me on the spot, so I've really got to deliver now. Really deliver. <laughs> Some top story in there. Top three. Uh, in at number three... <laughs> I'm going to say it like this to build up the stalling Tony McLean uh, in, in at number three I'd go Eden Hazard mm-hmm. I think his ability to change a game dribble past an opponent is the best on this list as we mentioned earlier he's had a bit of a bad year but I still think there's a lot more to come from him number two I'm going Meza Ozil ooh, ooh controversial um, again this is just a preference I'm, I'm sure you can guess who number one is number one's Kevin De Bruyne I just prefer Kevin De Bruyne's all action Pacier style rather than the the Mesut Ozil's a pure playmaker. He's an old school. He's a remnant back to like the days of Raquel May and Zico, and he's he's beautiful to watch. But Kevin De Bruyne is the modern playmaker, and that's why I've just given him the edge. Okay, Mo. Well, number three, uh, I'm going to go with Dimitri Payet. I love his his ability to dribble. I love his big match energy. I love his just uh, you know ridiculous haircut. You know, it's the whole thing. It's it's I really like Dimitri Payet. He's great fun to watch. And again, I will add. Rabona assist. <laughs> um, uh, okay, then number two, I'm going to go with Maka Meza Ozil. I think he's really elegant and really, really nice to watch, but, you know, uh, struggles to impose himself too often for me in the sense that, I mean, you know, when Giroud stopped scoring, he couldn't find someone else to pass the ball to to score goals. I mean, come on, Meza. There, there are plenty of other good players on that side. Get together. Number one, number, no, numero one. Numero one. <laughs> numero one. I'm going to go with Kevin De Bruyne because... He he just is clearly. I mean, I don't know what Chelsea were thinking when they sold this guy. They must be out of their minds. He's uh, he's absolutely incredible. He's got all. He's got the talent to be 
a free eight to be a classic Iniesta style all around midfield playmaker, a number ten who plays central midfield and is just absolutely peerless. I think I think it's worth mentioning that De Bruyne's success at City and Wolfsburg is a massive stain against Jose Mourinho's managerial reputation. <laughs> Get it in! It absolutely is because it's it's the biggest misjudgment on a player any top manager's had in the last five years, and what a misjudgment! And the second biggest is Romelu Lukaku, (laughs) who they're going to have to buy back for seventy million. So so, cheers, Jose. And the third biggest is Nemanja Matic. Anyway, we're going to go on from Jose to Dave. Dave, what's your top three? Number three, Christian Eriksen, the Danish international, has an eye for a pass. (laughs) On to number two, it's got to be the German international, Mesut Ozil. What a through ball that lad can play. And in at number one, the modern man, it's Kevin De Bruyne. It's like a horse race, isn't it? Outstanding. One of the most surreal things I've ever seen. So De Bruyne, number one. Yeah, it's got to be. I think that he is, again, I I don't like him at central midfield. Play him at number 10. Give him the license to do what the hell he wants. Stand where he wants. Move where he wants. I think the thing we haven't even mentioned as well is is, his ability to, to move off the ball is so good. His ability to create things without even touching the ball is insane. And that is why he is number one. What about you, Nick? Who would your top three be? That's a very good question. I'm supposed to remain impartial, aren't I? We've all picked De Bruyne at number one. They're all winners. I've got bias, though, here. I've got bias. So who's your number one, then? Aaron Ramsey, right? I think... (laughs) (laughs) Santi Cazorla. I actually actually think that I would have Ozil number one, De Bruyne number two, and I agree with Dave, I think Ericsson number three. I think he's the most underrated player in the Premier League. Boom! Boom. Doubt. Yeah. Got a podcast, Mike. That's me. That's me. Fantastic. Story of the week this week is courtesy of Hugh Connard, the user on Reddit, on the soccer subreddit. And it's about Forta Laser Esporte Club, who play in the Brazilian Serie C. Now, this is a regional division that works a bit like an international tournament. Four groups from four different regions play a round robin before a playoff to determine who gets promoted to Serie B. Now, despite being unknown to the usual football fan, uh, Forta Laser are a bit of a big deal. They have over 40,000 fans turn up to their home games on average, and they're the richest club in the region by, by some margin. The problem? Fortaleza cannot stop bottling it. They have a fantastic record in the group stages of Serie C in that round robin I was talking about, winning the group stages comfortably every year on their past, past five attempts. It's the playoffs which are the issue, especially when the crowd capacity reaches over 60,000 during their home games. In 2012, 2014, 2015 and 2016, they topped their Serie C group every single year, but they couldn't get a result at home in front of all of those fans in the second leg. 2013 was the worst, though. Fortaleza conceded two goals at home again in the last 15 minutes to lose their final group game, and they finished fifth outside the qualifying spots for the playoffs. The kicker is, that year, all four teams that progressed to the playoff got promoted. First year that ever happened. The overall irony being, of course, that to any Portuguese speaker, this is pretty obvious, Fortaleza is Portuguese for fortress. That is just about all the time we've got for on the Squawker Talker this Monday. Obviously, we've got the Thursday pod coming up very, very soon. But just before we go, wanted to let you know that you could win up to £50,000 by playing our free weekly fantasy football game it's called match boss you may have heard of it basically what you do is you pick for each premier league game this weekend who you think is going to be man of the match you pick 10 man of the matches you may be in with a chance of winning fifty thousand pounds there's prizes for the top 20 there's spot prizes 
It's a great little game. It's great fun. We've got a unique scoring system for it. Please check it out at matchboss.com. Apart from that, well, that's it for the show. Please subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and of course, we'll see you very, very soon. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.